Hey everyone, this is Anthony Fleming, Senior Pastor of Church Alive, praying that this message is fresh, real and powerful in your mind, your heart, your family, every part of your life. If you enjoy these messages, subscribe to it, share it with a friend to build their faith. God bless you as you lean in to the power and presence of God's Word. here in person. So good to see you You guys can be seated. Everyone's like, I don't know what to do. (laughs) So good to see all you here in person. Those of you joining us online, welcome as well. Uh, Before I get into anything today, though, if there are any veterans or active service members, can you please stand up in this place today? Any of you? John in the back. Yes, Carlos, my dad. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you so much. We want to take a moment and honor you because you're willing to put your life on the line so that me and my family can enjoy the freedoms that we have. And this weekend, we remember the people that paid the ultimate sacrifice that can't stand here today to get recognized. So thank you that you'd be willing to do that for me and for us. I can't really put into words how much we appreciate you. And let's honor Pastor Anthony and Pastor Miriam for a moment because they truly, truly are visionary leaders and have cultivated such an atmosphere of faith and growth in this place over the years that I've been here. And I wouldn't be standing here today if it wasn't for you two. And so thank you. During worship, I just got a sense uh, that we need to pray this morning. We always need to pray. (laughs) But during worship, I got a sense uh, that we need to come against the spirit of fear in this service. Fear of the future, fear of the now, fear of what your children are going to inherit. We have to shake that off in Jesus' name as we get into this message. So, Father, we thank you for today. And I pray, Father God, Lord, in Jesus' name, God, that faith would come where it hasn't been in a long time. But, God, we come against the spirit of fear, and we tell it to shut its mouth and to get out of this room in the name of Jesus. I pray for clarity of mind to be about every single person in this place and watching online. I come against racing thoughts. I come against questions. And I pray, God, that your peace would come. You are the Prince of Peace, Jesus, and we welcome you into this place. Holy Spirit, take control of this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. What a blessing worship was this morning. You know, there's, there's, there's different things that get different people going in this world. And I don't know about you, but you know, there's stuff that gets under people's skin pretty easily. Maybe it's politics. Maybe it's some, some different things, right? And different aspects of that. But there's one thing that most people tend to get really bent out of shape about. And that's if you start messing around with my family. And I remember 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, yo mama jokes were just, that was what reigned supreme at school. We would have battles. Did you know that on MTV, there was three seasons of a show called Yo Mama, where all they did was do yo mama jokes. It was outrageous. Now I'm a man of wisdom, so I'm not even going to try to ramble one off from this stage. And because my mom's here. Hi, Wendy. Love you. But you, if you crossed the line during your mama jokes, you still got upset. And it was the most ridiculous thing. But I remember years and years ago, my sister and I were in a traveling hockey league together. Sarah was the only girl in the entire league. And that was before, you know, nowadays, that's, I don't want to say normal, but like, you know, that's, that's changing a little bit. And so we were in a league and it was a non-checking league. And one day we were out of game and she had passed the, the ball, the hockey ball, because it was roller hockey. 
Nowhere near the thing. And this kid cross-checked her across her chest, laid her out on the floor because some boys decided they wanted to show a girl what it was like to play with the boys. And now me and my calm, forgiving, ever peaceful self find myself at at a face-off with this kid right in front of his team's box right after he did that to my sister. And so the ref drops the ball. I punched him in the head. I got my stick underneath him. I picked him up and I went, this is for my sister! And I threw him over the wall and I started a brawl and I think I got us banned from Paramus for like a year. (laughs) Give or take, something like that. (laughs) Love you, Sarah. You don't do that to my family! But the family in America is changing. It has been changing. And actually this idea of a nuclear family, there's a, the nuclear family is the man and woman together, the nucleus, and then there's children around it. The nuclear family has been under attack and been challenged in America really for the past 70 years. Beginning in the late 1950s and especially in 1960 when the birth control pill was introduced and made mass available to women, we started to see a sexual revolution that happened in America. Monogamy was challenged. It was considered antiquated. It was old. And we started to see that with the changing sexual landscape and the changing moral landscape in the country, we started to see that that actually came in and started to impact the nuclear family. And so by 1974 was the first time in this country that marriages, more marriages ended in divorce than because somebody died. And from 1974 until 1981, that rate steadily increased. And in 1981, we saw the highest percentage of marriages ending in divorce in this country's history. And this started to come out of that changing landscape. And the social changes that come out of that really are immense. We know that children that come out of fatherless households are much more prone to have struggles as they grow older. They wind up coming into contact with the justice system. They wind up sometimes having addictions. But more importantly, children that come out of broken homes tend to often repeat the cycle. And you start to see that going on and on and on. And I want to tell you, if you're a single parent in here, shame off of you. Because I want to tell you, when you lean into the person of Jesus and the principles of his word, and you raise your children the right way, they can come out just just as healthy, just as flourishing, just as gifted. So don't, don't let that disqualify you in your parenting because you can and will do an amazing job. So we started to see that over those decades, the, the core of the marriage was at, under attack. And it was attacked because of gender issues and sexual issues. But the man and woman, the nucleus of the family, was under attack. But recently in the last decade, we have seen really an accelerated change in the landscape of morality when it has to do with gender and sexuality. And we're starting to see the ramifications of what that means. And it's not just the nucleus that's under attack anymore. They're going after the kids. This is not an alarmist message. This is not blowing something out of proportion that is proposed. In the state of New Jersey, now, kindergarteners have to be exposed to sexual teaching about orientation. Kindergarteners. Children that psychologists, either within faith or outside of faith, agree that at a certain age it is detrimental to expose children to sexuality because of an agenda are now being exposed to it. That's not a theory. That's not proposed. It is past legislation in the state of New Jersey. And that should alarm you because it is demonic and it has snuck itself in under the guise of acceptance. 
The nuclear family and our kids are under attack now in this country because there is a battle for your family. There is a battle to introduce and maintain brokenness inside of your family. There is a battle to hinder the blessing of God coming on you and pouring out of you into the generations that come after you. There is a battle to prevent healing from being made available to you and you accessing it. There is a battle to disarm you and to render you ineffective to do the things that God has called you to do. There is a battle to keep you indifferent to it and to keep you in bondage so that you never change. If you're taking notes today, the title of my message is Warrior, The Battle for Your Family. Look, this battle for families, it's not new. It has been raging since the very beginning. The devil absolutely hates anything that resembles God or is created in his image. He hates it. And you and I use the word hate, and I don't think we use it the same way that I'm using it right now. Because sometimes we say things like, I hate stair runners, because just choose hardwood hard or choose a carpet, for, you know, for goodness sakes. Why do we do that, right? That's not hate. You just don't like it. When I'm talking about hate, he disdains anything that looks like God to the point that he wants to utterly destroy it so there is no remnant of it left. He hates what is godly. And so when he was confronted with God's creation, what did he do? He went after the one part of God's creation that had a choice. Mankind. And he managed to wedge himself in between what? The nucleus. The thing that the children and everything revolves around, the marital relationship is where he decided to get himself in the middle of. And then we see this in Genesis 3, 14 to 15. God pronounces judgment on him and he says this. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. But catch this in verse 15 it says. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the very beginning of this battle and this battle has not stopped until today and it will not stop because it is a constant spiritual battle by which the enemy is trying to destroy the thing that God instituted to be a blessing in this world. And you see, so, so maybe you can say here today, oh, but I'm not in a family, so I'm good. <laughs> and I'm not married. I don't have to worry about this. Unfortunately, you don't get a deferral. <laughs> You're just as involved as everyone else because there's another family that the enemy rages against because he's going to rage against the family as the institution by which God fulfills the blessing of the earth. But he is also going to rage against the church. The body of Christ, the family of believers that come together in common faith is something that he cannot stand. And I can tell you, during worship this morning, do you know how upset the enemy was? That there's people from different races, different language, different backgrounds, different nations in this room, all praising God as the one who is victorious. Thank you, Pastor Fernando. Glad your knee's better. Look at him, standing up and running around. (laughs) 
In Revelation chapter 12, we see that there is a battle that is going on and there's a battle that is going on in heaven. And we, some pretty, we see some incredible imagery of a woman who was symbolic of the Virgin Mary and the dragon who was symbolic of the devil. And we see in, in Revelation chapter 12 that she is about to give birth to her son and it was representative of Jesus and that the dragon wants to destroy him. But the dragon is thwarted. He cannot actually consume her offspring. He can't. And it says this in Revelation 12, 17. And then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. He hates it. He can't stand it. And so there's a battle for your family and there's a battle going on for this family. He rages against it and he wants nothing else but to destroy it. Now, one of the, one of the principal ways that the enemy operates to get in and to drive problems into the family unit is through this thing called iniquity. Iniquity is a pattern of behavior. It is a sinful pattern of behavior, but it is something that comes in and often is what breaks the family. It's not just the bad day kind of decisions. It is the ongoing, it is the persistent things that you find yourself in. And that is how he likes to operate. Because haven't you noticed that sometimes families are just known for certain things, right? They're just known for some things that aren't that good. And guess what? That is nothing new either. Because one of the earliest families in scripture came out of the man, Abraham. He is the father of faith. He is the father. And we see, though, an interesting pattern that starts out. Abraham, he is on travels and he winds up in Egypt and he lies about the identity of his wife because he wants to protect her. So he says, she's my sister. So he deceives the people who are around him. And okay, maybe it's altruistic because he's trying to keep her safe. But then we see his son Isaac does the same exact thing. So there's a pattern, father and son starts to do the same thing. But the deception is outside of the family and it seems like it's actually a good thing. But then we see Isaac's son, Jacob. And Jacob doesn't just deceive someone outside of the family. He lies to his own father and lies to deceive him to steal the blessing that was meant for his brother. So now what happened was the iniquity, the lies that started with grandpa and started because of maybe a good reason and started with people outside of the family. It starts to come bigger and bigger and it gets inside and inside. And then we see even Jacob's sons, they lied about what they did to Joseph. Four generations. And at some level, they're all liars. Iniquity doesn't often change and it won't change until it is challenged. So let me ask you, are there undesirable characteristics in your family? Maybe you're known by depression. Oh, we just all cheat on each other. It's just it, somehow it works. <laughs> I'm dead serious because there's things that go on in our world. There's things that are in our family that sometimes we can't even rationalize. Oh, we fight all the time. Why? I don't know. It's just how we get along. That's not getting along. It's called fighting. <laughs> but we try to rationalize it, don't we? There's a battle going on for your family, but you and I need to turn that battle around. And instead of that battle coming against, it's got to start going out. We need to start battling for our families. We need to turn it around and we need to fight back. What does it look like? 
Well, practically speaking, there's things that you can do to get involved against this changing moral landscape that we find ourselves in. You can get involved in a public advocacy group. There was a group that was here a couple months ago that gave a presentation about this alarming curriculum in public education. They're called the Family Policy Alliance. There's different groups that you can get involved in that espouse the ideals that you and I believe in. But you need to vote. To be honest with you, if you haven't voted, you don't get to complain about how bad things are. Because you get to choose the people who are making decisions on our behalf. So I want to encourage you, do your research, be diligent, and find the candidate that espouses the closest to the ideals that we find in the Word of God, and you put your vote on them. Because that's how things change. So that's practically speaking something you can do, but we're not about practical just about that here at church. We're about the spiritual too. And so, look, our veterans, the people who have served, they get trained on different types of weapons because there's different types of weapons that are effective in different types of environments, right? You can't take a sub and stick it on top of a mountain and hope that a torpedo is going to work good. So there's different weapons for different places and different circumstances. You and I cannot fight spiritual battles with fleshly weapons. Because we try to so hard. We try to just, oh, I'm just going to change what I do. I'm just going to try to be better. I'm just going to try to do this. You can't stab a demon with a knife and hope it goes away. <laughs> There's spiritual things that call for spiritual answers. And so, 2 Corinthians 10, 4, it says, the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but are, have divine power to destroy strongholds. Look, the things I'm going to share today, they're not some magic recipe. They're not some incantation. They're not just this, this little rite of passage and then all of a sudden everything is free. But there's principles at work in scripture that you and I need to bring into this battle and they are going to allow us to come out victorious. The first thing that we can do to battle for our families, we need to acknowledge and repent of our own sins and the sins of our forefathers. That doesn't feel fair. I didn't do what grandpa did. Why do I have to repent for what he did? There is a spiritual principle at work here. And we see in three different instances in the Old Testament at least where this was put into practice and incredible things shifted. In the days of Nehemiah when they were starting to rebuild the wall, the prophet Ezra came and read the law of God out loud. And the people, when they heard it, they hadn't heard it in its fullness. And when they heard it, they went, oh my gosh, and they were convicted. But they realized that not only themselves, but that their fathers had sinned against the Lord. And so what does it say? Nehemiah 9.2. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and they stood and they confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. When the prophet Jeremiah realized that God's hand of judgment was upon the land of Judah, he again did something similar. Jeremiah 14 20. We acknowledge our wickedness, O Lord, and the iniquity of our fathers, for we have sinned against you. Ownership, owning it. Even when Daniel, when he, was, when he discerned that the time was right for Israel to be restored, Daniel 9.16 says, O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our 
fathers. We see that in each of these moments when, when they took ownership, not of how, just how they had made mistakes, but they recognized that the, the pattern in their family was wrong, that it was contrary to the word of God. When they owned that, all of a sudden blessing came. All of a sudden, freedom came. All of a sudden, change came. So you may be hoping for change and praying for change. And you might tell me that for years nothing's changed in your family. Sometimes you need to change the pattern of attack. And you need to start to take ownership. We need to embrace full cleansing in ourselves and in our families. We need to embrace full cleansing in ourselves and in our families. Look, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart, isn't it? And that's not some cliche setting. Our heart, out of it flows the fullness of life. Out of it flows everything, flows everything that is coming into us. In Ezekiel 36, 26, God said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. When you have this renewal on the inside, God doesn't just take the heart that's there and kind of make it soft again. He intends for it to be new. Not something that's refurbished, new. And so when we have this newness of heart and this cleansing that's going on on the inside, it is going to start to change the way that we relate to one another. Because I don't know about you, but there's probably some people in your family you're not too fond of. When you know somebody's coming to Thanksgiving, you're like, oh, no, I don't want to talk about it. You know, like we all have those people, right? But what happens when God starts to do a work in your heart, you start to be able to relate to your family differently so that you don't look at them as a hindrance, you look at them as something worthy to fight for. Proverbs 18.21 says this, death and life are in the power of the tongues. What would it look like if you were calm, controlled, measured, and that every conversation you had with family members was meant to be a blessing? What would that look like? Because delivery matters, doesn't it? Delivery matters. I don't know about you. You read a text message the wrong way, your whole day could get ruined. (laughs) Delivery matters. If you order a pizza, there's two ways he can give it to you. He can hand it to you in the box, or he can take it out at the bottom of the stairs and throw it at you. Delivery matters. I don't want my pizza thrown up a flight of stairs. You cannot fight for something when it's so broken on the inside. Jesus himself even recognizes this. In Mark chapter 3, he said, if a house is divided against itself, it cannot stand. You having, and so there may be fam, family members that aren't believers. There, all of them may not be believers, and you may be alone. But do you know that the newness and the cleansing that can happen inside of you, and controlled and measured speech that is meant to be a blessing and unite, it is, it is agony for the enemy to see that. Because the years and years he has spent trying to get your family into bondage, it's shifting. And it's shifting because of your faith. You and I need to be willing to own what has happened. When we bring accountability for the past and our own actions, and while we embrace a cleansing on the inside of us, we disarm the enemy. Because, look at, catch this. If I have confessed my own sins, I know the source of my forgiveness, and I am not afraid to go to him when I make a mistake. So if I fall short, the enemy is disarmed because he can't keep me in shame. He can't keep me separated from God, thinking that God doesn't care, that God's mad at me or something like that. So I know how to go back and get forgiveness. But catch this. If my heart is being refreshed, if I am speaking words of life over people in my family and even those around me, he can't get me in the trap of unforgiveness. Because when somebody does something wrong against me, I know 
know how to get forgiveness if I'm involved, and I know how to extend forgiveness. The two principal ways that you and I find ourselves and our families in bondage get utterly shattered when we embrace this this one principle. And finally, number two, what can we do to fight for our families? We need to drive out the things that don't belong. And I'll tell you something, you cannot drive out what you make excuses for. Acceptance disables your ability to confront something. Acceptance in making excuses, it disables you from doing anything about the things that are coming against your family. Because when you and I see words and we see actions and we see patterns of behavior that we know, we know are not from God, and yet somehow we try to excuse it. Oh, but generations ago, men were just like that. It's just what it is. It's how we grew up. When we start to make excuses for it, we will never actually drive out what we're meant to. In Deuteronomy chapter 7 and chapter 20, God was abundantly clear with Israel what they were meant to do. Israel had experienced the exodus, the freedom from the bondage of sin in Egypt, and the bondage of slavery in Egypt. They had gone through the wilderness, and now Joshua was about to lead them into the promised land. But the problem with the promise, the problem with the promised land was that there's still people in it. What do you mean, God? You said that this space is mine, but I have to get the people out of there? Deuteronomy 7 and 20, God was abundantly clear. When you come into this land, you will have an, not an immediate success, but there will be an ongoing battle that will take years by which you will clear out the people that I will show you. It was God actually pronouncing judgment on the Canaanites. It was not some holy war that says, this is my land, get out or die. God was pronouncing holy, righteous judgment on a sinful people and his pattern, the way, the vehicle that God was judging them was through his people Israel. And at the same time, he was fulfilling a promise. So he was clear. Do not commingle with them. Do not associate with them. Get them out. And in the beginning of the book of Judges, we see the after effects. We see that Joshua is done with battle. We see what is going on. And then we start to see a pattern come out. Judges 119, and the Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country, but... He could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain. 121, but the people of Benjamin did not drive out. 127, Manasseh did not drive out. 128, when Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but they did not drive them out completely. 129, and Ephraim did not drive out. 130, Zebulun did not drive out. 131, Asher did not drive out. 133, Naphtali did not drive out. They allowed the things that were going to break them remain. Because driving it out was too hard, so they'd rather live with it. You and I, when we come to faith in Jesus, we are responsible to drive out and clear the landscape on the inside of us. We are responsible to take the things that judgment has been pronounced on and get them out in the name of Jesus. Because I'll tell you, judgment's been pronounced on depression. Judgment has been pronounced on brokenness. Judgment has been pronounced on addiction. And it is life. And you and I are responsible to enforce that on the inside of us. 
When we go on our journey and we don't confront the things that have been there for a very long time, we start to commingle with them. We start to assimilate them and we start to make excuses for them. We assimilate part of their attributes into our lives and our families. And then generations later, people are scratching their head about how on earth did this pattern of behavior get here? I want to read you something that I read on BibleProject.com as I was preparing for today. Talking about Jesus and Joshua, the one who went into the promised land to conquest, the one who did take land for his people. It says this, similar to Joshua, Jesus came to drive evil out of his creation. But unlike Joshua, Jesus' weapons were wisdom, love, and sacrifice. In the book of Joshua, God was triumphant in Canaan despite the death and violence of battle. But in Jesus, God triumphed over death itself because of the violence that he endured. Joshua bought victory at the expense of his enemy's blood. But Jesus bought victory for his enemies through the shedding of his own blood. Coming to God for forgiveness, owning the things that your family has done, allowing God to renew your heart, to cleanse you, to cleanse your, your speech, to garnish it so that it's a blessing to people, and then having the faith to drive the things out that are not meant to be there anymore, that judgment's been proclaimed on. It is only possible because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. So often you and I, we compartmentalize our salvation because we say, Lord, here, take eternity and take these three things. But we don't talk about that relationship and don't even bring that other part of my heart up. We resist him in certain areas because we've been hurt, because they're broken. And I want to encourage you today to trust him again, to trust the good father in heaven and to fight the battle for your family to fight it with faith, to fight it with strength and dignity, and to be strong in the finished work of Jesus. It wasn't a partial work. It wasn't half done when he was finished. It was complete for all eternity, irreversible. Nothing can take away the finished work of God. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads in this place. And in a moment, if you've never made that decision, to make Jesus the Lord of your life, we're going to say a prayer together. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's the surrender of your heart and your eternity to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. One of the songs that we sang this morning, it says, what hell meant to break me has failed. The victory is yours. You are riding on the storm. Your name, Jesus, is unfailing. Though kingdoms rise and fall, your throne withstands it all and your name is unshaken. And so if you want to make that decision today, the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. And we're all going to say a prayer together. Repeat this after me. Say, Lord, I gave you my heart. I confess all of my sin and all of the sins of my family. I pray for refreshing I pray for renewal. Take my hard heart and make it soft again. Holy Spirit, live in me. Holy Spirit, empower me. Today I am a Christian. In Jesus' name. Amen. And 
Keep your eyes closed for a moment. But if you said that prayer in this place this morning for the first time, or maybe you're coming back to God, can you raise your hand right now? Right now, anybody. I see all those hands right there. Thank you so much, all of you. I'm proud of you. Anyone else? I see your hand. I see that hand back there as well. Thank you, Jesus. God, I thank you, Lord, for every single person who came home to you today here and every single person who came home online. I thank you, Father God, for faith to come. And I pray and come against every pattern of brokenness in every single family in Jesus' name. I pray, Father Lord, that you would wake up the warrior inside every single person that God, by faith, as we come to you for forgiveness and as we extend it to those around us, God, you would renew. God, you would refresh. God, you would unlock. I pray, God, that generations would change even after today in Jesus' name that God you would breathe in a fresh fire and a fresh passion for your name in Jesus name Amen